Leo, awesome to see you now here in this uh, slightly different context. Um, yeah, nice to see you as well. <laughs> I'm here in New York City, as you might see from my uh, from my uh, back screen. Yes, and uh, it's a beautiful, uh, a sunny day. Like summer is around the corner. It's uh, kind of uh, unusually warm for uh, late uh, May, but it's actually very warm around the. Uh, 30 degrees Celsius, and you know it's 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 just beautiful, you know. We sort of have the the coldest year here in decades. Yeah, we um, had also a cold winter this year, like uh, a lot of uh, snowstorms, uh, and you know, and spring was okay, but uh, actually, uh, spring uh, summer came a little bit earlier, and I like it, you know. I, you know, I love I love sun, I love you know, uh, solar time you know i'm a solar kind of person you know <laughs> you are i know <laughs> yeah leo i want to talk uh, with you about sort of like the um, um well basically simply let your childhood you know yeah. so let's 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 find out like where you come from you know i i know some of these stories but let's you know don't don't worry repeating yourself this is uh oh it's okay look you know i will improvise as you know like you know i'm a <laughs> lover of improvised music and uh this is also improvised uh like okay. to tell the stories you know and i i don't mind like you know i'm actually in mood to tell stories because with my friend dennis ray uh, uh we are working on my book mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh you know you know i will be telling the stories we are recording this on zoom uh, and uh, every week, like for a couple of hours, and then telling many stories, then he will help me to write the book, we'll work together. And uh, I enjoy telling the stories because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people uh, do not know my uh, background. They know a few things. They know that uh, I was born in one country, that I grew up in another country, that I came to the third country, that my wife is from a completely different country, and, you know, that, you know, all these kind of things. But, uh, you know, I was born in uh, former Yugoslavia in 1962 in a region uh, in a, a called uh, then and now Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is today's independent country for uh, 28 years, 27, 28 years. But nobody from my family is actually from Bosnia. It's just uh, by circumstances. Uh, you know, my uh, uh, I, I grew up with my uh, maternal uh, grandparents because... Uh, my mother, who left uh, the, the town where I used to live uh, when she was 18, that was in the uh, uh, early 50s, she only came back to my town uh, to give a birth of, you know, when I was born. And then after uh, three, four weeks, you know, uh, for, because of various circumstances that it's not important for this uh, kind of conversation, like, you know, I was uh, kind of adopted by my grandparents. Mm -hmm. maternal grandparents and uh, and I also have kind of mystery about my father who he was like when it, where he was coming from and uh, virtually I don't know so much about my father uh, maybe I don't know nothing or uh, something you know but uh, from the my maternal side my do you, grandfather do you know if do you know if your father is still alive no uh, you know probably he died you know like uh, because uh, you know the only thing that I know that he was uh, much, much older than my mother. And, you know, my mother will be like 80 years old, like, you know, next year, you know, which means that he probably like, you know, died a long time ago. But, you know, there is so much mystery. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm very clear about my past. Like, you know, I don't suffer from things. I, 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 I get over all this kind of uh, 
uh, traumas and dramas from my childhood, like, you know, a long, long, long time ago, uh, mm -hmm. maybe because of my positive attitude. But uh, just telling uh, briefly about my grandparents, because they were extremely influential in my life, and I later can tell how, especially my which is kind of interesting. My grand, uh, maternal grandfather was born in the Herzegovina, which is a part of Herzegovina, but actually on the border with Dalmatia, which is a part of Croatia, very close to Adriatic coast, which is his Mediterranean. It's very arid region, and a lot of people um, left uh, uh, like that region, like uh, going to the New World, to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, North and South America. And uh, but my gra uh, uh, grandfather, uh, he was enrolled in Austro-Hungarian army. Uh, in 1918, and unfortunately, he only went in the war for three weeks because the war was ended, you know, and he was very lucky. And then, uh, because he was display, mis displaced, like from uh, that part of where he was born to the northern part of today's Yugoslavia, close to border of uh, 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 today's Yugoslavia, today's Serbia with Romania, he stayed there and he finished the military academy, and uh, he became a custom officer, and, and then he was... Uh, uh, transferred to Macedonia on the border with uh, with uh, Macedonia, like between a, a former uh, kingdom of Yugoslavia, Macedonia. Today, Macedonia actually they had to change name to Northern Macedonia, independent country in which you uh, played with Stickman a few years ago in Skopje. But they lived very close to the border because that was a profession of my uh, uh, grandfather. And my mother, uh, my grandmother, uh, she was uh, coming from a very kind of uh, uh, distinguished, aristocratic, uh, very influential Montenegrin family. Uh, and through some kind of, uh, you know, family relationship, they were related to the, to the uh, aristocratic family of uh, Petrovich, uh, who were kind of uh, monarchs of Montenegro and related to the Serbian uh, uh, monarchs. But also uh, Princess Jelena, she married Italian king, uh, Vittorio Emanuele, and she became a, you know, Queen of Italy, kind of that's kind of my kind of a little kind of family background. But what is happening with my grandmother, uh, her mother died the same day when my uh, grandmother was born. Uh, it was a very diff difficult part. And unfortunately, my great-grandmother died that same day. While my grand-grandfather was a, a high-rank official of uh, Montenegrin army. And a few years later, he died in a battle uh, in... Um, um, uh, on the between uh, Montenegro, today's Montenegro and Albania, in, during the f first war, uh, 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 fighting uh, for uh, Montenegrin army, he was colonel uh, uh, in the Turkish army, and that was during the first war. Then my uh, grandmother and uh, her sister and two brothers became uh, kind of uh, without parents. And uh, what is happening when the war was over, my uh, grandmother, who was only like uh, three, four years old when uh, the war uh, ended. In 1918, she was adopted by her aunts, and uh, they lived in a, a, a city of Skutari or Skodra. Skodra in Albanian, Skutari in Italian, Skadar in Montenegrin Serbian. Uh, that's the second largest city in Albania today. But uh, uh, if some people might know that Albania, between the First and Second World War, was uh, not really a colony of Italy, but it was kind of. Uh, it's, it was called Protettorato di Italia, like, you know, it was kind of under the Italian rule. Uh, and uh, Scutari was, or uh, Skodra was a very mixed city, like, you know, Albanians, 
Montenegrins, Serbians, and Italians. And because my and uh, her aunts uh, live there, that's he grew up with uh, with her aunts. And then when uh, uh, you know they were you know they were on higher uh, kind of class of you know from Maritzburg family, they sent her in the best school and uh, the best school in town were Italian school. And then in that Italian school, uh, she learned Italian and she was uh, uh, later like you know in, in, like in twenties as a little girl, she was trained as a, as a lyrical opera singer. And uh, virtually since the age of uh, seven or eight, she was uh, um, uh, influenced very much by Italian arias, by Puccini, Verdi, um, and all those great Italian composers, which is kind of uh, just jumping like uh, 56 years later. It's kind of, you know, that's where my kind of musical uh, kind of education came. And I will tell about that a little bit later. But because my grandmother lived with, uh, uh, one aunt in Scutari, she was during the summer, she was visiting another aunt uh, whose, uh, and her uncle was also a high rank official for the uh, uh, Kingdom of Yugoslavia at the border. And she was only like 15, 16 years old. And my grandfather, who was, uh, you know, much older than her, like 40, 15 years older, spotted her. You know, my grandfather was a very good looking, tall guy. He has like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, he was right, uh, uh, you know, riding a nice uh, white horse and you know he was good looking kind of military kind of guy and he spotted this little girl and he asked about this girl and and you know because she was 16 15 they actually what they wanted like they wanted just to get rid of her like he said look you know you know if uh, you you like our little roxanda that's what her name roxanda petrovich uh, popovich petrovich you know maybe you can marry her but you know there was another guy who was looking at her and then they said look you know there is somebody who's already interested in uh, uh, Roxanda but that guy was uh, 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 living in Chicago he was Albanian but he came during the summer he said look I will come next year and then I would like to propose marriage to Roxanda to my grandmother but what is happening in those days we are talking about 1929 1930 <laughs> that didn't happen because you cannot just take the flight, you know, and, and go from Chicago to Albania, like, you know, or Montenegro or, or Macedonia, like it's, you know, and he didn't came. And my grandfather, you know, he heard about that story. He said, look, you know, since that guy is not in town, <laughs> and I'm not sure he is coming, I would like to propose to this girl. You know, this is like old fashioned kind of, you know, and of course they, uh, in order to get rid of her, you know, because, you know, she uh, grew, you know, she didn't have parents and, you know, and, that was you know uh, in old time like you know and they married they married in uh, on uh, a new year's eve uh, december 31st of 1930 they had one son which died uh, immediately after he was born uh, in 1931 and my mother was born in 1934 in macedonia and my uh, uh, aunt sonia was also born in macedonia then in 1940 what is interesting 1940 um, because my grandfather was from Herzegovina, he was specialized in a, in a, in a kind of he he was after the smugglers in tobacco in those days in Terry's like uh, uh, smuggling tobacco was like a big thing, and uh, being like kind of custom officer they were looking for this kind of uh, people mostly Lebanese and uh, Egyptians and uh, and Greeks and Turkish and you know that they're smuggling tobacco because they wanted to sell tobacco like through certain channels to go to the west because Macedonia. It's the biggest tobacco uh, 
uh, northern Greece and today's Macedonia and Herzegovina, they are the three regions in, uh, in uh, Europe that they were producing tobacco. And then because he was from Herzegovina, there were other smugglers there, and he was from, uh, from that part of the, of the former Yugoslavia. They transferred them from uh, Bitola, which is the second largest Macedonian city, very close to Greek border, to Mostar, which is the capital of Herzegovina, second largest city today in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And my grandfather was born not very far from there, but closer to the Adriatic coast. But what is happening, like, you know, we're talking about 1940, 1941, uh, German occupation, and uh, then de facto Italian occupation, because Italians were in pact, uh, like Mussolini with Hitler, and uh, they kind of split that part of the uh, Balkan Peninsula. Germans occupied uh, most of it, and Italians occupied like uh, kind of uh, like a uh, coastal part of uh, Yugoslavia. And most of the that's that's Mediterranean, like that's very close to the, you know, like 30, 40 kilometers you are on the, on the Adriatic coast. But and then the war came, you know, and then in 1943, uh, when it, Italy capitulated, they, they, they had some problems, you know, with the Germans and, you know, and then, you know, other things, you know, and, uh, and in 44, they ended up in Sarajevo because was just liberated by uh, Tito's partisans. And uh, they went to uh, Sarajevo thanks to a, a, a very famous Bosnian writer who was Sephardic Jew, Isaac Samokovlia, who was also a doctor, because uh, uh, Sephardic Jews or as other Jews, you know, the, in Bosnia, Herzegovina, there were a lot of, uh, you know, we had kind of community of predominantly Sephardic Jews, some Ashkenazi because they came from Austro-Hungarian Empire, that Bosnia was part of it. Uh, they had to leave Sarajevo uh, to uh, uh, be in Mostar. That's how they became friends with my grandparents. And they actually helped my grandparents, actually probably they saved them life, to move to Sarajevo. Mm-hmm. And uh, this writer who wrote a couple of uh, uh, very famous books in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Serbian, Croatian, whatever, Bosnian language, he was also translated many language. He died in the 50s, but he was a personal friend. And he was uh, actually the guy who helped my grandparents to move from Mostar to Sarajevo. And they supposed to stay in Sarajevo. Then Isak Samokovlia, uh, uh, he was a doctor. He was going to, uh, uh, to var, uh, uh, immediately after the war in 1945. He was visiting several towns around Bosnia. And one day he came to my grandfather and said, look, uh, my grandfather was called Jure, Juraj Giorgio, George. said, uh, there is this beautiful town you have to go. My grandfather knew that town, Yaitse, which is where, you know, several years, uh, 20 years later I was born. Say, mm-hmm. you should come and check something. And their local government, they're looking for uh, qualified people because my grandfather was very qualified being an officer. And then my grandfather went there and then he liked. And then mm-hmm. he said, look, I'm moving there. And then in 1946, I believe, immediately after Christmas, maybe beginning of uh, January 1946, they established themselves in Yaitse, which means that when I say that I was born in Bosnia, a lot of people say, oh, you are from Bosnia. Actually, I was born there and my Grandparents lived there since uh, 46 to 62. That's like 16 years. Uh, mm-hmm. But nobody from my family actually was from Bosnia. Mm-hmm. That's kind of very interesting thing because uh, uh, kind of this uh, important uh, figure in the Bosnian uh, literature uh, uh, was uh, very kind of influential to say my grandparents to move to Sarajevo. Then 
to influence my grandparents to move to the city where I was born. Leo, so uh, how do you uh, how did you research all of this, or did your grandmother or grandfather tell you most of this? Uh, look, I'm uh, 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 no look. My grandma, look, my grandfather wasn't very uh, kind of. Um, of course, he finished military academy, but he wasn't really like you know. He didn't like to read books. He you know he only liked geography and history. But but my grandmother was very very educated woman, and then uh, and my grandmother uh, like always uh, uh, was kind of uh, 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 feeling kind of uh, nostalgia from great days when they had very good life in Macedonia because after the war finished, uh, you know you know during the war like everything changed like you know everything like you know and 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 she really loved macedonia and then my grandmother was a great storyteller and uh, because she didn't have a very good relation with any of three daughters especially with my mother they somehow they were always some sort of troublemakers and uh, and uh, being uh, uh, because she she lost her son when uh, you know at the birth like you know literally like a couple of months after he was born in 1931 I was kind of adopted son and being kind of sort of adopted son with three daughters that, you know, they were kind of troublemakers that uh, she didn't have a good relationship with for whatever reason. Uh, she treated me as a son mm -hmm. or as a grandson. And she tell, told me many stories. And, uh, and, you know, because uh, uh, if you go back to uh, like she knew because coming from very influential Montenegrin royal family, uh, you know, she was able to trace like uh, the origin of the family like for centuries and centuries and uh, and she was proud of the fact that she was montenegrin and uh, and she told me those stories and then my grandfather also told me certain stories he was also a great storyteller steller, but he was telling me those stories in a different way uh, you know they 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 didn't have a kind of normal kind of relationship but i think you know because also my grandfather was in jail for 4 years Somebody set him up in 1958, and he was he came out of jail in um, in uh, 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 1962. Because what is happening? Some of those people that the Kingdom of Yugoslavia asked him when they transferred from Macedonia to Herzegovina to go after them. These people they remembered that, and then kind of uh, they manipulated certain things, and they set up my grandfather. And you know, my grandfather, you know, he was he wasn't drunk man like you know but you know he liked to drink one glass of wine from time to time but he was kind of uh, drunk because they're his countrymen they fooled him around uh, he became drunk and he signed a couple of documents he went to the jail and after he came from the jail i was born and then my grandparents kind of they they stayed together but didn't have really kind of uh, uh you know uh, uh, uh you know i cannot say that they had uh, uh, you know it's sort of it's relation because you marry with somebody you stay for the rest of life that's that was how how it was in old times and then but my grandmother uh, having this kind of uh, uh presence of husband who is not really real presence and then having a complex problem uh, like issue with her three daughters for 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 uh, for my grandmother i was probably the most important person in her life and then she uh, she tried all her best to give me kind of uh, set a kind of education to teach me certain things as much she can because look don't forget she was born in 1912 like you know she's kind of old you know previous generation like you know but she was uh, 
you know, you know, she was a singer. She was singing all the time at home, you know, Italian uh, arias and also music from 50s and 60s, like quality, you know, good singers like Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra and Shalas Navur. And that's how I started also listening to music. And she was always telling me stories like, you know, and, uh, and you know, and uh, that's how I learned, like, you know, to, you know, I was uh, a little kid and uh, we were watching TV and then she was telling me the stories always related to something she always remembered things like you know and uh, you know that's how i get into the many many things like into the literature and the music thanks to my grandmother and so which which language was uh, your grandmother speaking with you uh, look this is very uh, kind of questionable kind of thing because uh, we are going now into the kind of trouble because during the tito see like uh, during uh, before the uh, first war uh, uh, like uh, there were two languages, Croatian and Serbian, which is very similar. But during the Romantic period of uh, in the uh, 19th century, uh, all around Europe, but especially in Balkans, these kind of Slavic people from the south, they had kind of idea to uh, put them, you know, to have kind of identity as southern Slavs. And that's how Yugoslavia became country in 1918, 1919 because Yugoslavia means country of place of southern Slavs. And then, uh, like, uh, uh, between two wars, uh, the language was Croatian and Serbian. Very similar, but different. And after the war, that language by Tito was uh, proclaimed to be called Serbo-Croatian or Croatian-Serbian. And uh, Serbians call it Serbian-Croatian, a Croatian call it Croatian-Serbian. In Bosnia, we call it Serbo-Croatian, Croatian-Serbian, both both sides, uh, both ways. But language that we speak in Bosnia, variant of language was closer, much closer to Serbian language than to, uh, to Croatian. And in today's uh, uh, environment of last uh, thirty years, because of the horrible civil war in uh, Bosnia and atrocities uh, committed by Serbians or Serbs in Bosnia, Bosnian people decided that uh, that language has to change the name because you cannot call that language Serbian or Serbo-Croatian. They call it Bosnian uh, mm-hmm. and which is kind of kind of uh, very strange to me because like uh, if you go today to Bosnia, everybody will say that they speak Bosnian. But, you know, I'm not sure about that uh, because uh, that's uh, kind of a Bosnian variant of, uh, of uh, Serbian. But, you know, because of the national pride, because of the atrocity of history, you know, in few words, we spoke that language that uh, was called so many different names. <laughs> See, like, yeah. uh, you know, like uh, I come from the very complex country that is not very easy to, uh, to, um, to explain in few words. And probably like, you know, I'm also a very complex person and, you know, everything that I did is not very easy to explain. <laughs> but but, but if, we, if we look at it from in practical terms, so basically if a former Yugoslavia, you can, you can, talk with everybody there. And yeah, uh, look, uh, Serb- Serbo-Croatian language was a lingua franca and official language of the country. Uh, and it was official language of Serbs, Croats, Bosnians, and Montenegrins. Then Slovenians had their own language different, called Slovenian, but every Slovenian in school had to learn uh, Serb- uh, Serbo-Croatian. It's the same thing like, you know, you know, when you met Chavi, like, you know, uh, Chavi Reja, like he's Catalan, you know, he did schools in Catalan, but also in Spanish, you know, because sp- uh, Spanish language is a national language, but Catalans speak Catalan, Basque, Basque, and Gallegos, Galician, 
but everybody has Liga Franca Spanish, which is Castilian. Similar things we had in Yugoslavia, the Macedonians had their own language, uh, Albanians in Kosovo, they had another language, but virtually everybody in Yugoslavia had to speak uh, Serbo-Croatian or Croatian-Serbian. And today, this language was kind of uh, 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 fractured in four languages, in Serbian, Croatian, Montenegrin, and Bosnian, which is uh, almost the same language. Okay. Very, 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 very complex. <laughs> but uh, of course, like, you know, with Vasco Atanasovsky, who is from Slovenia, you know, we speak in several Croatian because he's of certain age that he did schools during the former Yugoslavia. And even though, of course, he's of Macedonian origin, but he was born and grew up in Slovenia and he speaks Slovenian. But, you know, of course, if I speak with him in, uh, in, um, in uh, my language, you know, he understands. Same with uh, my friend Vasya Ivanovsky, who you met in uh, Skopje, uh, uh, who is a former, very well-known journalist in former Yugoslavia. You know, when we speak, when we correspond, we correspond in my language. But he has his own language, which is Macedonian. Mm -hmm. Which I understand. I'm Macedonian in Slovenian. I can understand a little bit, but I cannot speak. But I, yeah. a little bit, uh, I can understand a little bit. It's kind of uh, like uh, Italian and Spanish or uh, Spanish in Portuguese, that, that kind, of, kind of similarities. Okay, so the, re the relationship with your grandmother was very special for both of you, um, yeah. I guess. Well, yeah. And, also and with my grandfather, also with my grandfather, but in very different way. Yeah, yeah. So, but since like your grandmother, as you said, you you sort of were the grandson, but also sort of like you fulfilled the function of a son, or yeah. like you also hinted that maybe even a little bit like the the man in the house, even though you were very young, right? So it's uh, which yeah. is which is interesting, and then so. Um, and so basically, your mother had left, and uh, but yeah, you ended you ended but you ended up uh, going to live with her, right? Yeah, but, uh, you know that's very complex thing. See, like uh, I uh, uh, maybe it's my character. Like you know, when I was look, I I realized when I was six or seven years old, or maybe eight years old, that I lived in very dysfunctional uh, kind of uh, family. Uh, uh, dysfunctional uh, mother, dysfunctional aunts, two aunts. One was living in my town, one was living in the old capital of Bosnia, Travnik, which is only like uh, 70 kilometers from Jajce. And uh, my mother, who was kind of uh, absent present, uh, even though she was absent uh, uh, and uh, probably, uh, you know, I was um, kind of, um, you know, she had, you know, I cannot look, I even though like I, I cannot judge my mother for things that she did because everybody has uh, its own story, but, uh, you know, probably she didn't do, uh, you know, right things, but, you know, who am I to, this, to say those things, you know, uh, you know, that was her life, but she kind of left me, but actually she visited me like several times a year. And then uh, she lived in Sarajevo in capital of Sarajevo after living in many, many places around Bosnia, she was uh, working in, uh, you know, she was changing job all the time, you know. And uh, then finally she established herself in 1963 in Sarajevo. Mm -hmm. And then uh, from time to time she was taking me to Sarajevo. I remember my first uh, trip that I kind of remember, it was in a bus from Yaitse to Sarajevo when I was maybe four and a half, five. I can, uh, I can, I can remember that. I can remember, I, you know, you know, I, I, and I have some pictures from that period and I kind of, rem there are a few things that from time to time come to my mind. 
And then, you know, in 1968, uh, late 68, she moved to Dubrovnik, which is a very famous city on the southern Croatian coast on a, on a, on a, on a, on a you know, on the Adriatic Sea, on Mediterranean. And uh, that's where, where she met my uh, stepfather, Mario. And then in 1971, my sister was born in Dubrovnik. And the same year, my mother moved to Italy. And But when she lived in Sarajevo and Dubrovnik, I was visiting my mother all the time, especially in Dubrovnik. The whole summer, I was staying with my mother for two months, three months. School summer, I was going to the beach, you know, beautiful town, beautiful uh, weather. You know, my mother was treating me nicely, you know. Probably she was feeling guilty, but uh, I felt that something wasn't right. I didn't understand. But on the same time, I felt that I need her, like because I felt that my grandmother is not really my mother. It's just mm -hmm. older woman who is my grandmother that I loved a lot. But something was uh, attracted me to my mother because I probably needed that. And mm -hmm. I, had, I didn't have a father figure. Uh, and my mother was conflicted. She didn't know if she wants me or she or or if she doesn't want me then when she married to italian guy in 1971 everybody expected that as a, a every mother like you know that she will take me with me which she didn't do which means that uh, the second time that she rejected me uh, and then i finished uh, uh, you know high school middle uh, in high school in my town but every summer i was traveling to italy first with my uh, first two years with my grandmother then I was four, uh, uh, 13 years old. I started traveling by myself. My uncle would drive me to Dubrovnik, which is like five hours drive from Yaitse to the coast. Then he will uh, leave me with uh, friends from my mother. And uh, one of the friends of my mother, uh, uh, his wife is a friend, and, and, and the husband was a kind of, uh, kind of uh, chief of the, of, the, of the customs in Dubrovnik. And then she was putting, uh, he was putting me in the evening in the, in the ferry. And, you know, in the cabin with mm -hmm. special pass. And then that was overnight, uh, like, uh, uh, ride, you know, like uh, ship was leaving at uh, 12 uh, midnight, arriving 6.30, 7 o'clock in the bar, and my mother will wait for me. And then that's how, since 1972, going every year to Italy, I learned Italian. And by 1980, 80, 80, when I was 18, I spoke perfect Italian. And, uh, and then everybody was expecting that I will be after high school, speaking perfect Italian, and also being de facto Italian citizen, even though I didn't have Italian passport, but I was automatically Italian citizen, everybody expected me to go to Italy. But then there was like third rejection by my mother in my life, and uh, she didn't want me to go to Italy for whatever reason. Uh, and then I went to Belgrade, uh, but uh, lived there three years, uh, two years, three, but I realized that that's not for me. Then in the meanwhile, mm -hmm. Uh, I always loved my grand, uh, stepfather, and uh, uh, step, my stepfather, Mario Pepele, was a beautiful human being. In the beginning, I was kind of uh, frightened by him because my mother had this kind of uh, established that kind of relationship, like, you, you are my son, but, you know, this is my husband, you know, like, you know, his stepfather, you are, you know, your stepson. Uh, but then we became friends. Mm -hmm. And then because uh, he really lo loved me, not just like me, loved me, I was able to convince him that I really want to go to Italy to live. He said, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I said, look, I wanted to do that since 1972. 
and he was kind of upset but he all also like you know was uh, you know having uh, kind of uh, you know you know my mother was a special person like you know she was bipolar she was uh, having like some serious uh, issues like you know and uh, but then i ended up uh, living in italy and then uh, uh, that kind of three times rejection i wanted kind of to reconnect with in meanwhile my grandparents uh, died my grandmother in 84 one year after i moved to italy my grandfather in 1989 uh, and uh, i wanted to be in italy because i really loved the place because mediterranean bari 300 310 days of sun you know like beach like is there like you know a lot of friends you know and good food and beautiful like you know what you and and i started studying like portuguese language literature because i was attracted by brazil and portugal and uh, all these kind of things you know because pele was a famous soccer football player was my hero when i was a little kid and uh, but then i you know living with my mother i started getting kind of very difficult relationship like it was kind of uh, suddenly my mother wanted me with her with her but then she wanted to control me uh and then uh, but i'm not kind of guy that you can control very easy it's very difficult to control me i'm very resistant very stubborn and uh during the years that became very very kind of uh, uh difficult for me then what happened i was very good student in the beginning and my professor of uh, brazilian li uh, portuguese literature Fernanda Toriello, she really liked me. I was very active reading. So, a lot so of this, is, this is uni the university this is so, in Bari? Or? In Bari, yeah, because I studied in, in Belgrade for a couple of years, but I, I kind of just was there like, you know, I really mm -hmm. wanted to go to Italy. Like for two and a half years, I wanted to go to Italy. When I decided to go to Italy, I was late to uh, enroll in university at, in 83. Then I started university in Italy only in 84, but I actually moved in Italy in 84. And during that year, I was kind of all around, like I traveled, like, you know, I went to Greece, I went to Maldives, you know, I went, you know. And, and what uh, did you, what, what did you study in Belgrade? I studied Italian literature in Portuguese, uh, uh, Italian lit uh, language literature and uh, history and, uh, and uh, you know, philosophy. And uh, I, first year I was very excited about everything because, you know, I was 18. But after that, I kind of, uh, lost interest because i had one goal i want to live in italy mm -hmm. uh, even though like i was born in yugoslavia since 1972 i cannot became sort of italian because everything uh, like everything that i needed that i loved were more in italy than in my country because when i came in country i had kind of elderly grandparents that they loved me and i loved them but i lived in a small uh, uh, environment small town it's very historical town, very famous town, even though very small. It was the very first capital of Kingdom of Bosnia from 13th century, uh, but it's still small, like 15,000 people. Uh, you know, and then uh, you know, I had problems with my childhood because you know, you know, because uh, you know, people were uh, bullying me because of my mother because uh, I didn't know about my father. You know, like you know, I was mm -hmm. bullied all the time, and uh, and that's the reason that I wanted just to leave. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I left, and of course I was leaving every summer to go to Italy, but when I left to Belgrade, I left forever. I said, I'm never, never coming back. And when I go to Belgrade, I knew that something was telling me that was just temporary. I had kind of like a confused uh, uh, young man of the age of 1920. I had kind of fantasies to go to tropical country, like, you know, because I was into the tropics or to go like to uh, live in uh, Rome or uh, Paris or, you know, 
or to go to live to Brazil because I loved Brazilian culture. Like, you know, it was fantasies. I never dreamed anything about New York, about these things, even though like I liked American music, American movies, American literature, but I never thought about coming to USA. But when I went to Italy, like, you know, that was kind of thing. Like, and I, what I'm trying to say, like, you know, meanwhile, very important kind of thing that uh, this woman, uh, my professor of uh, Portuguese literature, she uh, really liked me and she said she started introducing uh, like uh, Afro-Portuguese literature in, in the classes, like, you know, especially from Angola, about uh, among five countries in Africa, Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau, Capo Verde, Satome Principe, Angola was kind of the richest country in terms of history and culture. And we studied some uh, Angolan uh, kind of uh, 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 writers and history. And then she said, look, you know, I would like you to go to Angola. Uh, I can get you kind of a little kind of um, kind of uh, little grant, like you know, very little from the University of Luanda. They can pay for your uh, apartment there, and uh, you know, maybe if you develop uh, your studies in this uh, field, and uh, if you want to be my assistant at university, like you know, help and like go to the library, organizing library, being assistant, say so you can have a job, and uh, virtually. In 1987, I was thinking, wow, I will have a job for the rest of my life because this is Italy. It's not private university. All universities in Italy are, are you know, belonging to the state. You know? And then when you go to these kind of places that belong to state, only if you do something very, very wrong, you will lose your job. Yeah. And I was already saying, wow, that's great because uh, like being a, a, you know, a working university, you have a lot of free days because if you're teaching, of course, I didn't expect to teach in the beginning, but one day if you're teaching, you're just teaching 10, 15, 20 hours a week, you know, or, or less. But you, you, you have a lot of vacations because, you know, all holidays, the summer break, uh, the, uh, the winter break. And I say, wow, that's great because I can enjoy what I enjoy, music and travels and this and that. And, and I was kind of dreaming about that. But then when I went to Africa, to Angola, in the uh, middle of November of 1987, uh, 1987 uh, I was excited the first month, for the first month. Then after that, I got in a very, very deep depression because uh, something very important happened in my life, which is another rejection. See, my life is full of rejections. I, I felt in love with a Sicilian girl who was a very extraordinary person. And we were kind of secretly dating because, you know, but then one day she decided to introduce me to her parents. That was in a beautiful city of Agrigento. And uh, they were from Racalmuto, a small town. Uh, uh, but we met in Agrigento. They took me to a nice restaurant. We sat at a table. We had a nice conversation. I was a little kind of, uh, you know, in those days I was a little bit shy. Uh, but, you know, I was kind of, uh, you know, a little bit anxious, you know, you know, say, Oh, this guy will bombard me with questions. And then at a certain point, uh, her father asked me very straightforward question, like, you know, what's my religion? You know, because uh, I wasn't really Italian. You know, I was coming from Yugoslavia. And, you know, of course, he knew that Yugoslavia is kind of formerly communist or socialist country, that, you know, there are a bunch of atheists over there. And I was actually brutally honest. I said, look, you know, I... I respect all religions, but, you know, I'm not religious, you know, like, uh, I think I believe in, in cosmos, in energy, like, you know, like, but, you know, but I respect, like, you know, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, uh, you know, that's it, you know, finito. Even though this uh, a girl, now a woman, 
like uh, she wanted to leave that world, but she didn't have strength. She didn't have strength to uh, to uh, leave her world because it was comfortable. She was uh, 22, and then I didn't have uh, enough uh, strength because I was just a student. I didn't have uh, my independent life. It was kind of you know difficult. You know, you know it. It took me like seven, eight hours, eight hours just to reach that place. You know, by train. You mm -hmm. you have to take train from Bari to to Reggio Calabria, take the ferry, and then take another train to. Uh, you know Palermo, and then to or to Catania. Then you know it, it's it's. But you mm -hmm. know, look, uh, it wasn't a really serious kind of relationship, but it was a very short one. But it kind of uh, it's not because of uh, love that didn't happen. It's rejection. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I said, why the like life is so kind of uh, cruel? You are rejected by your mother. You are rejected by your society. Uh, in former Yugoslavia, you were rejected by certain girls. And even when I was in Bari, when I tried to date girls, I was considered like strange guy, like, you know, and uh, because I started dating a, a girl, uh, quite kind of dating, like, you know, going out. And and I published uh, uh, my first volume of poetry, which is kind of, you know, avant-garde poetry. She said, ah, tu sei un poeta, poeta, like, you know. And I gave her a book and she was reading that book, you know, and, uh, and she my poesia strana. This is very strange poetry. And then, uh, and then say, oh, you like the music, you know? I say, yeah. But then when I uh, took her to my place, she said, look, I will play some music. And I said, look, you know, I will play a little bit of everything that I like. I started with Neil Young and you know, James Taylor and Crosby, Stills, Stills, Young. Then I moved to the John Coltrane, my favorite thing. Then I I started with uh, Pound Hearts, Van der Graaf Generator, even Sandra and Orrin Coleman and. Uh, and uh, Miles Davis and uh, King Crimson, and she said, ma che musica strana, what a strange music. And my mother was uh, making a, a lunch, and she just came to that, uh, in that moment in the room, and she heard that, Leonardo è molto strano, say, ma sei strano, ti ho sempre detto che sei strano, said, you are strange. I always told you you are a strange guy. Why you cannot be like every normal person? I say, Fuck, you know, why, why I, I don't want to be normal person. I want to be myself. Mm -hmm. And I like, uh, one of the things that was struggling, like, you know, before going to, uh, uh, to Africa, that I wanted to be myself. And every time when I wanted to be myself, there was a big obstacle. You know, don't forget that. Yes, it was Italy, but it was deep south of Italy. Like, you know, and, uh, then when I went to Africa, like I stayed there, like, you know, I, I enjoy my time, but the, everything that I supposed to uh, do there, like to do research, I did only first month. Second month, I did know nothing. I got into very, very deep depression. Uh, fortunately, I had good friends. We were listening to good music. I was going to the beach. And then uh, one day I decided to go to San Tome Principe, which is uh, one of the smallest countries in the world, like only two small islands. It's independent country from since 75 was Portuguese colony. But the ticket was very expensive uh, if you buy with uh, uh, real money. But because in Angola, that was during the Civil War, uh, they, uh, if you go to the, to the uh, kind of supermarket or international market where uh, foreigners, diplomats, soldiers, uh, uh, no tourists in those days, of course, can buy stuff uh, with uh, hard currency, with kind of, I had Italian Liras and I had the uh, Deutschmark. 
and uh, I was able to buy kind of a Marlboro or Camel cigarettes and uh, bottles of whiskey and to sell at the parallel uh, kind of uh, market for uh, like 20 times higher value in official uh, uh, money called Kwanzaa. And uh, then uh, a very famous uh, 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 Angolan writer, he was born in Portugal, José Luis Dunio Vieira, whom I befriended. He was at the University of Rwanda. I was kind of working on a few things with him. He said, look, you know, we can do this, like, you know, uh, because as a foreigner, I cannot buy that ticket with Kwanzaa, with local. I had to buy with, uh, with, uh, with hard currency. I only had Deutschmark and Italian liras. And then he said, university will, will, will buy, and you reimburse us in the Kwanzaas. And literally, the thing, I don't know how much it was costing, because I don't remember. I paid with Italian liras. Uh, but let's say it was like $500, but I probably bought, uh, like paid like 30, 40. And I mm -hmm. went to Santo Tome Principe for three weeks. Two weeks in Santo Tome, one week in Principe, then three, four days in Santo Tome, and I went back to Angola. And then a few days later, like I started having chills. Mm -hmm. I got paludismo, which is malaria. It's a kind of Central African uh, kind of version of malaria. And I got sick. You know, normally when you get malaria, it's kind of like flu. You, you get chills for a couple of days. And uh, then, you know, normally like, like, like COVID, you know, like, you know, similar symptoms, even though it's very different. And then, you know, in most of the cases, you are okay. But what is happening, I wasn't feeling well. They took me to the, to the military hospital. Don't forget that uh, in Angola in 1988, there was a civil war. Around Luanda, 50 or 60 kilometers, there was a free kind of uh, protected zone controlled by United Nations. And then uh, Luanda uh, had a lot of Cuban and Soviet soldiers who were supporting the government, MPLA. While on the other side, in southern part of Angola, they had other fraction. They were supported by South Africans and USA. Literally, like a uh, civil war was between two fractions in Angola, supported by Cuba and, uh, and South Africa, but actually real guys that they supported were Soviets and Americans. And then I went to the military hospital. The first thing that I saw when I, they put me in that waiting room, I saw one of the most horrible scenes in my life. They just brought like two or three soldiers. I don't remember if it was two or three. They were completely, one guy was missing a hand, like and 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 uh, you know, like you know, like his face was completely kind of you know. They probably just took him by helicopter from somewhere, from you know, who knows from where, and it was kind of very very shocking. But of course, you know, that initial kind of uh, 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 shock was over. And then I was treated, and I went home. I stayed in hospital for uh, one, you know, until three four o'clock in the morning. I went home. And I started feeling better, but in few days I started feeling worse. And then it was up and down, up and down, up and down. Then finally, my friend Maria, she was renting me uh, a, like an uh, apartment in Luanda. She was living in another place with her uh, uh, boyfriend. She, uh, she said, look, you know, let me take you to another hospital. She befriended one Italian guy who was friend with Italian doctor. Uh, Angola is um, uh, still, it's an uh, oil country. And a lot of this kind of, even though during the Civil War, a lot of these kind of companies like, like uh, especially European companies, not American companies, like, uh, like especially like Ajip from Italy was there. They had a little hospital. They took me to the hospital and this young uh, Italian doctor, I believe he, his name was Giacomo. He, after examining me everything and uh, my blood, he said, look, you know, and seeing my paperwork from the Cuban Soviet hospital, 
said, look, they treated you with wrong things. Everything mm. is wrong. I said, okay, what I have to do? Look, you know, you have to do this and that. I went back home and I started feeling worse and worse. For seven days, I was hallucinating. But then I started feeling better. And then I called my stepfather. I said, look, you know, I'm supposed to go to Mozambique. Uh, I had a ticket in the same arrangement, like paying with, you know, <laughs> buying a cigarettes and uh, liquor and, you know, changing on a parallel market and, you know, going for little money. I, I decided to go back. But I had to fly from uh, Luanda to Moscow, stay one night on Sheremetyevo, fly to Rome, and then my uh, stepfather will pick me up in, uh, in, um, in Rome. And then this, like, four or five hours drive to Bari. But what is happening in meanwhile, uh, b probably because of some mechanical uh, things, we stopped by in a country of uh, Chad, in Jamena during the night. It was no air condition. I was sweating because I had chills. The air, uh, uh, flight was full of uh, uh, so, uh, Russian fishermen and uh, Russian soldiers and some Cubans. I was the only kind of normal guy. And we stayed there for five, six hours, you know, because they had to fix uh, old Tupolev. And then, mm -hmm. uh, then they had stopped another time in, uh, in uh, Budapest. And I, that's how I lost my connection from, uh, from uh, Moscow to Rome. And when I came there, they put me on another flight. And I had to stay at uh, one lousy hotel that is only for foreigner, foreigners in transit. You cannot go out. And uh, I called uh, uh, like a reception and they sent a doctor who was uh, probably he was from Tuba or from Buryatia. I was mm -hmm. talking to Vlad the other day because he was kind of, uh, you know, Chinese Mongolian looking, you know, and uh, and uh, and uh, he, you know, he gave me some pills and he said, look, you know, you are not in good shape. Uh, you know, he was talking Russian. I don't speak Russian, but, uh, you know, I can kind of understand a little bit Russian. We try to, you know. And uh, then I went, came to uh, Rome. My stepfather picked me up. Then when he took me home to Bari, I started feeling a little bit better. And what is amazing, like my hero, Terry Ribdal, was playing in town. And I supposed to go to hospital. And my friend Nicola took me to see Terry Ribdal. And after I was shaking all, all during the whole show, he took me like when he was uh, uh, packing his stuff after the show, uh, Nicola was a friend of the promoter, you know, the Italian said, and, and, and you know, I, I was able to shake hand to Terry Ibdal. He was playing with Chasers, 88, like, you know, uh, Bjorn Kelemir and uh, Aydun Kleiver, amazing trio. I was, immediately after that show, I was taken to hospital. Mm. And I stayed in hospital for three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I lost a lot of weight. I was like, uh, coming from, uh, you know, who knows from where, where like, you know, and, uh, and then I started thinking like about life, you know, th that period in hospital uh, 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 helped me to reinforce my, my dream to leave, but I didn't know where I wanted to leave to Rome or to Milano because, you know, Italy, I speak Italian, I'm Italian citizen, you know, and, but then my friend, uh, Ivan, who was my roommate in uh, Belgrade, he came to New York in 1985. And he called me, like, said, look, you know, you have to come to visit me. I wanted to visit him, but I actually never dreamed to live in the USA or New York. Like, I wanted to visit New York, of course. 
when we were roommates, we had like a map of New York City, like, you know, and we were dreaming. So we'll go to Phil Maurice, you know, of course, Phil Maurice didn't exist in the 80s, but we were dreaming about, let's go, like, you know, where Allman Brothers uh, remember, uh, recorded that famous double album and blah, blah, blah. But then he started kind of being kind of more, uh, he knew my mother. Uh, he, because he, uh, before uh, moving to uh, uh, New York, he came to Italy to visit me several times, uh, stay at my place. And uh, he said, look, Leonardo, like, you must come here. And it took me a little while to kind of uh, do certain things. Then my professor in Brazilian literature, uh, he told me that they, he's organizing kind of event with the biggest and greatest Brazilian writer of all times who died 20 years ago, uh, Jorge Amado. They will give him on, a laurea honoris causa, like honorary degree at University of Bari. And then I wanted to go to New York in January, February of 1990. But he said, like, you know, wait until June. Then I waited June and, you know, and, and then in August, uh, on August 11, 1990, I came to New York. And next day, I knew it. I'm here. That's mm -hmm. it. I am mm -hmm. not going back. Which mm -hmm. means that uh, my life full of uh, many, many kind of rejections came to the city, which was very tough. You know, this is not for everybody, especially when you come without anything, you know, like mm. I, I didn't speak in English, you know, I didn't have any uh, profession, you know, you know, I, I was uh, helping my friend. He, 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 he did very well. He bought a couple of Benetton stores. I was unpacking and packing like, you know, boxes full of merchandise and, you know, in the, in the stock room and uh, some shopping malls in New Jersey. Then I worked in a restaurant, but I realized immediately this is the city because it's very hard. But that's what I needed. I needed somebody or something to punch me in my face. Say, Leonardo, this is, you must do it. And literally, uh, I started living my dream on uh, August 12th, which is the second day of New York. You know, that was my, because you mm -hmm. call this series Living the Dream. I actually lived my dream all my life because my dream was like to have family, to be accepted, to be loved, to be kind of, uh, to have a peace and harmony because I'm a very peaceful kind of guy and you know, I don't like to be in conflict with people. You know, I, I'm a positive solar person, you know, and, but the life wasn't nice to me because full of rejections, full of many bad things. I even didn't tell you anything. Like, you know, probably I told you like privately, like, you know, I was even kind of a, a software kind of a physical torture when I was uh, a little kid by my aunts. But, you know, that's another story. Like, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I always, even during the most difficult days in my life, I always had smile on my face, you know, and, you know, because I remember when my grandmother, uh, grandfather, I, I was five or six, we were living in an old house on second floor. I showed that place to Borislav, Asaf and Dwicky uh, and Kamal when we were in my town a few years ago. And we were living in an old house, second floor. And I saw, seeing like uh, one uh, kind of a uh, small mountain on one side, one small on the other side. There were two roads and they're all kind of going to the north. And there is a big mountain in the back. And I asked my grandfather, Grandpa, what is on the other side of the mountain? He said, there is a road. Where all these cars are going? Oh, they're going over there. Like, then they're going to another side of the, of the mountain. I said, what is there? Like, you know, oh, there's a big wall. Like, you know, like there is mountains, there are lakes and uh, oceans and people and countries. Like, you know, and I said, Grandpa, I want to go there. Like, you know, that's the place I want to go, go there. And also the fact that he's, uh, as I told you, he is coming from uh, one of the poorest regions in a uh, former Yugoslavia, Herzegovina, which is very, very dry, very dry and, uh, you know, very poor. And a lot of people immigrated to 
all parts of the world, from Australia to Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, South America. His brother moved to Uruguay, first to uh, Argentina, then to Uruguay in 1929. And he was writing these letters to my grandfather like uh, once or twice a year. And my grandfather was putting me and my, uh, my cousin, who also lived with us, she lived with us like uh, he was reading a couple of times a letter from his brother. And we had like a little kiss to say, oh, Uncle Jose, Joseph, like Joe, Yozo, Uncle Jose, like, you know, uh, you know, because we call him Uncle Jose, because, you know, that was his name, Jose, Jose Pedro Pavkovic. And, uh, and then I was dreaming to go to Uruguay. And then one day I remember saying, Grandpa, it's Uruguay on the other side of the mountain? Oh, yeah, of course he's not. But, you know, as a little kid, five years yeah. old, say, yeah, of course, you know. I would like to visit my uh, grandpa, uh, my granduncle Jose, which I never visited. But then, when I was for the first time in Uruguay with Bel with um, with Levin brothers, uh, by coincidence, Beledo and his wife were there. Like you know, and then you know, I tried to find uh, something, but you know, you know, I, I wasn't able, you know, to find. But I remember I told story to Tony and to Pete and Jeff Siegel and uh, Eric Lawrence and Beledo, and mm -hmm. it's kind of. Uh, it was great. I, I kind of I, we were sitting in a very nice fish restaurant, seafood restaurant, and was telling them this story, and I felt like that my uncle is some, you know, even though he died in 1984 or five, I believe, uh, I was feeling his presence somewhere, and I said, one day I will find something that is related to him, you know, and you see this kind of uh, desire to travel was uh, mostly and to know people and to discover things. It's driven. It's a uh, it's kind of uh, related to all this kind of childhood that I reject. Like, like my friend Boris that you met, like, you know, we spoke about that. I know him for 50 years, uh, you know, and he uh, moved to Sweden during the war in 1993, uh, where he still lives. Uh, I was saying, look, you know, Boris imagine if I had normal family, I'll be staying in Bosnia. My mother will not go to Italy. Uh, then the war comes, then I will be either like Hugh, who moved his uh, uh, wife and two little daughters to Sweden, or I will be one of those guys who will be murdered, or I will murder somebody, or, uh, you know, all these kind of things. But see, like, you move to Sweden, I moved to uh, New York, Italy, New York, and we dreamed, like, you know, we had little, I think I, we told you that story down in Casa Murada, like, uh, he had little kind of, uh, kind of a bar, like, we call it coffee place, coffee, but it was kind of when young people go and listen to some good music. Normally he was playing blues and fusion and jazz and the classic rock. And, uh, and he liked to cook. And uh, remember Burda, like, you know, and uh, his mother was buying Burda, same as my grandmother. But at the end of Burda, there were like kind of 10, 12 or even more pages about food recipes. And he was uh, seeing those recipes said, oh, I would like to do something like this. But who understands this kind of food in this little town? And say, oh, one day I would like to be a cook, like chef, which is today. And we were listening to Roy Buchanan and Return Forever and say, oh, like, you know, one day I would like to meet musicians and, you know, be their friends, like, you know. And we were drinking, like, beer together and coffee. And see, after that was in, uh, in the 80s. And uh, when I was visiting there, like I was in Italy already, but I was visiting my hometown. My grandfather was still alive. And after like, what, like 37 years, he's a chef, amazing cook. Mm -hmm. And I work with 
people like you or Tony or John Etheridge or Phil Mazanet, like, you know, this, this is amazing. It's, uh, it's another mm -hmm. kind of living, you know, I lived a certain kind of dreams that led me to achieve other kind of dreams. It's, mm -hmm. look, I like what I do. I do what I like. I don't make so much money, but I'm a very, very happy person. The way how ended, because if my mother was kind of normal person like that, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe that was my destiny, like uh, that uh, my difficult childhood and all these kind of dysfunctions in uh, my former country, my uh, family helped me to build all this kind of persona they have. Mm -hmm. And uh, and see, like I am very friendly person. I'll have a lot of best friends. I, I like to be friend with so many people. I like to, you know, uh, you know, you know, even people say, oh, humans are bad. No, humans are the most beautiful people uh, in the world. You just have to find like great people to to share your experience. You know, it's not, you know, yes. of course there are bad people, but if you find good people, then people are great, you know. And I believe in people, like, you know, that's why I have so for me it's very easy to be become friends with people. You know, of course I have my favorite friends, but I have so many friends. I can go to any country in the world, I can always find friends. And because that's my, because that's more uh, was my escape from my rejection in a town where I didn't have any friend. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any friend. I had mm -hmm. one, but you know, he was trying to be dominating me, like, you know, and you know, and uh, kind of, uh, he, you know, then, you know, we didn't, you know, once I left that town, he, he we weren't friends anymore, like, you know. And Borislav was four years older than me, like, you know, his other generation. I knew him since I was a little kid. My grandfather knew his, uh, uh, father and uh, his wife was my neighbor. Like you know, she lived like fifty meters from me. I know her. She's one year uh, younger than me. I, you know, uh, you know, like we know each other for more than fifty years. But we went. We became friends in eighties, and then especially after we uh, we found out, uh, out each other in two thousand nine in Facebook, which is kind of nice thing that I was able to reconnect with my town where I was born through this guy, because mm -hmm. if not for Borislav. Probably I will never kind of reconnect in a in a way that I reconnect with my town. And going back uh, two years ago, after thirty plus years, to my town with my friends from four different countries, like one Indonesian, one Palestinian, one uh, Israeli, and one uh, uh, kind of Italian, and uh, me from New York, going to my town, it was kind of a sort of revenge, uh, like you know, to mm -hmm. to stay and say, okay, Leonardo is back. I wasn't really that kind of guy that you were thinking of me four years ago yes I, i'm a i'm a good guy I, i'm not just son of that woman that you know she was difficult person that people didn't like or or you know blah 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 blah, blah that you know i was bullied and and you know it was and then bringing uh this kind of international band you see if i brought band only from one country from hungary or italy or greece it, it's not the same but bringing people from different parts of the world Mm -hmm. It uh, and me coming from New York, it become kind of even more kind of symbolic that I came as a winner to myself. Uh, that it was kind of my uh, uh, the proof that I did something in my life that I'm not uh, like even my mother, like she never believed in me. For my mother, I was always a loser, you know, complete loser, and uh, I don't know why, like you know, uh, but uh, but I I proof with my. Way of living yes. that I'm not loser, that I'm a winner. Of course, you know I'm winner a different way. Like my winning is like more kind of spiritual, intellectual kind of thing. You know, it's not winning in terms of having a power, the money, but uh, being kind of rich as a person, and knowing so many people and uh, traveling to 87 countries around the world, 
mostly predominantly with musicians, things that I liked. Music, it makes my life extremely rich. Yes. And you are one of the parts of my uh, richness. You know, you are one of my best friends among musicians. And we not only kind of travel together, we communicate. And that's for me very, very important. Like I feel, I feel kind of, uh, I feel fulfilled. Mm. You know, to me, it's, it's, uh, I really have to say that it's totally an honor to, to know you, you know, just like the, uh, you know, just in very practical terms, even just when you look at your first 28, uh, years of your life, right. The ones that we've talked about today, yeah. right. Uh, you have, uh, experience <laughs> like, I don't know, like, a lot more than I have, like in you know, it's it's really it's very, very different. Like for me, my life started very late, somehow, and for you, it started very early, in a way, like as you say, not very positive in in some ways, but it kind of like led you to um, to uh, arrive in the U.S. and to stay there for for thirty years, right? And yeah, so, 30, uh, now thirty one. But see, like I was natural traveler. My uh, 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 cousin that I met for the first time in 30 plus years, we had very good relationship. She also had a lot of rejection by her mother, my mm -hmm. aunt, and by her stepfather and by her uh, uh, father. Uh, and we were talking about that. I, you know, I was natural traveler because since I was little uh, 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 kid, my mother was taking me to Sarajevo. Like it's like three and a half hours from Yaitse, but for little kid that was a huge travel or five six hours to Dubrovnik. That's a that's a you know like like today like you are going to to New Zealand like from New York you know in when you are a kid everything is bigger and then especially mm -hmm. when you go to Italy like you are on another planet and mm -hmm. uh, you know and then when my grandmother took me to Italy 72 73 and uh, in 74 I went with my aunt and my cousins after that in, from 75 I started going by myself I was 13 years old they put me on the ship and I was traveling and then I was traveling even the, during the winter time, during the winter break, uh, the same thing, you know. And, you know, I was a kind of a little kid, like, you know, 13, 14, like, you know, a uh, kid. And, you know, I was having my things and I was going to the trip and people say, oh, Leonardo is going to the big trip. Like, you know, I was, uh, I was natural, of course, because of circumstances, I was go traveling to visit my mother. But, you know, I was a natural traveler, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I you know, in, even going by ferry, like during the summer was okay, but a couple of times during the winter time, look, you know, uh, sea is kind of, you know, wavy, but I never was afraid of it. I, you know, mm -hmm. it was kind of, say, wow, like, people are kind of, some are vomiting, some are kind of fainting, because once was very, very hard. Like, you know, I was 15 or 16. I was okay. And everybody was panicking because like, it's an old boat, like ferry, like, you know, like, boom, you know, and, you know, and and I we we delayed for a couple of hours to arrive in Bari. Like it was like a kind of winter storm in in a December. Mm -hmm. But but I that's why I don't I I'm not afraid of flying. You know I for first time I flew in uh, 1982. You know I didn't fly uh, until 1982. I flew from uh, and I experienced. I know I remember my flight. My mother came to Dubrovnik uh, from Bari. I was studying in Belgrade. And uh, that winter, I didn't go to Italy. Normally, I but uh, then I went to Bar to Dubrovnik because they spent vacation in Dubrovnik. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I took flight, and it was kind of uh, uh, very bad weather. 
And, and, and the flight ended up in uh, Titograd, now called Podgorica, today's capital of uh, Montenegro. They put us in a bus, and it's, that's like three hours, like, you know, going to Dubrovnik. I arrived in Dubrovnik like four o'clock in the morning. And that was my first flight. That was very shaky. It's supposed to be flight of one hour and 15 minutes, one hour 20. It was kind of odyssey, like, you know, from 3 p.m., like, you know, when I went to the airport, until like 3 a.m., like, you know, and oh. that was my very first flight. Like, you know, I say, wow. <laughs> 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 you know, you know, uh, but, you know, but it, it was fun. But, I, you know, second time when I took a flight, like, you know, from, um, also from Belgium to Dubrovnik, uh, yeah, I, it, it was kind of very natural for me to fly. Like, you know, today I go to the airplane, like that's, see, I'm afraid of cars. Like, you know, as you know, I don't drive, never drive in my life. And uh, I like, see, I love Robert Fratza because Robert is one of the best drivers in the world. And when he drives, uh, I say, wow, I'm in good hands. Like, you know, <laughs> or with Beledo, like, or my stepfather when he was alive, you know, because mm -hmm. sometimes when I g get in car with some people, they, you know, they're like, like this, you know, they're nervous, you know, mm -hmm. I, I cannot buy because I'm not a big fan of cars and I don't like to travel by bus. Mm -hmm. I like trains and I got, Airplanes. When I go to an airport, I'm the happiest man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like in, in the 70s, I, I have to ask my parents, but I think I was in Dubrovnik also um, yeah, for you a summer vacation. That. Yeah, you told me. You, did the, uh, you, did, uh, you went a couple of times to Croatia, right? I think, ev I think we went every year. Every year? Almost, every year. Well, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't, don't re exactly remember where we were, but um i'll have to ask my yeah, parents yeah yeah but of course like you know uh, a lot of german tourists like you know german italians were kind of the most numerous tourists in on the adriatic coast and you know dubrovnik is uh you know recently like i'm 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 friend with antonio sanchez and you know and uh, uh he married to uh, uh tana alexa she's from dubrovnik and a couple of times when we met like you know we were talking about dubrovnik remembering you know mm -hmm. i you know i spent a lot of uh, great times in dubrovnik and and I said to her, like, one day I would like to be in Dubrovnik with you, like, to visit these kind of uh, places that were very important in my life, because that's, I think Dubrovnik was the first place in my life in late 60s, 69, 1970, when I started kind of understanding kind of certain things as a seven, eight years old guy, boy. And that's also the place where I saw the very first concept in my life. Mm -hmm. It was... Uh, a band that was kind of psychedelic folk pop band called Dubrovački Trubaduri. They're from Dubrovnik. My mother kind of knew them, and uh, she was friend with the brother of the main guy, uh, who is a very well-known uh, uh, singer-songwriter in uh, today still alive, almost 80 years old, Ibrica Usage. Who, when I remember when I was a little kid, like he was buying me ice cream, you know. And uh, but I remember, like you know. Uh, being in this kind of house with this woman where my mother was staying, like, you know, she was working for her and going on the beach every day, like, you know, as I eat, you know, you got, you got go from the home of the house and you just cross little kind of uh, path and then you are already on the beach, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, but then I met also the guy who was uh, having a little boat, like he was able to put like 12 people maximum and then uh, full of German tourists or Scandinavian tourists or Dutch tourists. But very often when uh, his boat wasn't full, he will take me with me. I was like uh, eight, nine years old. He was taking me with me and 
to this kind of a little island where his wife was preparing like grilled fish, homemade wine, and you know homemade food for tourists. Then several years later, when I became kind of uh, uh, like you know when I lived in Belgrade and in Italy, I reconnected with this guy. He did the same thing. Say, hello, now like you know I have only ten people. Like you know there is a place for you. Come you know with me. It's nine o'clock tomorrow. Like uh, oh okay, Kai, come because he was taking a reservation. His wife was taking uh, or sister. He was taking the reservation day before, and then. I was helping this kind of tourist, you know, older lady to go out of the ship, of the little boat, to go to the little port, this little tiny island. Then we kind of walk for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. We have this beautiful house and, you know, she's grilling the fish and making a nice salad and that smell of uh, cucumber, like a very fish with rosemary, like, you know, it's, you know, I have a very great uh, memories of Dubrovnik and my sister was born in Dubrovnik and, you know, See, like every place where I lived, regardless of what kind of experience I had with that place, bad or good, I always have a good memories of that place. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dubrovnik definitely has a very special place in my life, you know, since uh, 1980, since late 80s, you know, because I was frequenting that place since uh, between 68 to late 80s. Mm-hmm. That's the first place when I realized, oh, that's not the place where I was born. That's a better place. Mm-hmm. Even though my uh, where I was born was a beautiful, if you see picture where I was born, it's a spectacularly beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful places in Europe. But uh, it was a place where uh, bad things are happening for little kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Dubrovnik. That's the first place where I say, wow. And also a lot of tourists, beach, you know, that's where I uh, learned how to swim when I was seven, eight. And, you know, and, you know, and, and but that those memories, like you know, like uh, kind of uh, when I sing the 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 sea, even though like Adriatic Sea is very small, you know, in Italy, you know, it's like across the Adriatic Sea. I was looking at that uh, sea and I say, wow, I would like to go to other kind uh, uh, side of that sea. They told me there is Italy, like you know, and then a few years later, my mother actually moved there, like you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I always had this kind of. Uh, Good association with the sea, oceans, river, lakes, and mountains. Like uh, to see what uh, what is on other side of the of the of the river, lake, and sea and ocean. And what's on other side of the mountain? You know, I was because mm-hmm. I'm na- I'm curious by nature. I want to know. Like I'm I'm very kind of uh, noisy. I, w- I you know I, I I need to know what's going on. Like you know, I'm never happy with things that is around me. It's not enough. Probably because of my relationship with my uh, my hometown, because I said, look, you know, this is not, I don't feel comfortable here. And what is there? Like, you know, and that's hey, why. Dude, let, let me ask you uh, um, uh, another, or maybe a, a difficult question, like, because mm-hmm. I don't even know if you know an answer to it. But why? Well, look the, so, so um, just like from my perspective, I would say like there was sort of like a, um, very, as you said, very dysfunctional um, level or layer in your family, which was your mother and your aunts, right? And um, and you had your grandmother and you had your grandfather, who so, didn't have who didn't have a good relationship, but they stayed together because of the convenience. Exactly. That's that's why that's why I'm I'm trying to understand now, or maybe you can you can find an answer for that. Right. So why why do you think that that sort of like evil or more evil part, basically, that 
that uh, of the family that you were involved in as a kid, right? Like, uh, so how is that there the, the relationship from the level of the grandparents to their kids, right? Like your mother, and then to you, like, why do you think that this, this part, this layer of the generational layer was so unhealthy? Is it, is it because of the war? Uh, no, because that was in the uh, 60s, in 70s. Like, yeah, yeah, but, but they, were, they were born, maybe, uh, yeah, and, but and my, grew, uh, grew up during the war, right? Uh, my youngest uh, aunt was born in Sarajevo in 1944 by accident, because uh, they didn't plan to have uh, more kids in, in, uh, in, uh, when they moved to Mostar uh, uh, from Macedonia, and then from Mostar in 44 they moved to Sarajevo. And, you know, like, you know, she's kind of uh, sort of uh, unwanted kind of uh, third daughter uh, mm -hmm. But you know, of course, you know they accepted as a daughter. But that that woman, uh, uh, look, uh, uh, she was like uh, ten years younger than my mother and nine years younger than my uh, other aunt. Mm -hmm. And uh, what is amazing, like that, uh, every every one of them they hated each other profoundly. And where and, does uh, where, where does the hate come from? I don't know. It's don't know. A, it's a maybe personality. Like I, I I have no idea. See, my mother was always a rebel. You know, my mother in the 50s, when she uh, she was born in 34, in 52, she finished the high school and she just wanted to be independent. She had a very kind of a liberal, independent life. And, you know, she was the one of the first people from my town to enjoy rock and roll and boogie woogie, you know, those things from 50s. And in early 60s, in Sarajevo, she befriended those people that were listening to Beatles and Rolling Stones and, and you know, and she, you know, she was always rebel. She probably didn't understand these things, what they are, but she enjoyed them because it's part of a rebellion, uh, because, you know, uh, this kind of Western culture was uh, coming to Yugoslavia. And then if you know, like uh, Tito decided in 96, uh, 1964 that Yugoslavia is not a communist country anymore. Yugoslavia was a communist country until 64. Then Tito switched that. It became a socialist country with free market. Actually, today's China is based on Tito's Yugoslavia post-64 because, you know, like everybody was able to be, uh, you know, empresario, like you have their own business. Before 64, it was pure communism. Mm -hmm. But that coincided with this kind of uh, movements that in Sarajevo, that actually Sarajevo more than Belgrade and Zagreb, which are bigger cities, like it was became kind of epicenter of the new youth culture of the rebellion. And my mother was there. And, and she was rebel, and, uh, but my mother always had difficult character. She was fighting with everybody. She was very stubborn and she had, look, uh, she, she changed the job so many times. She was fired so many times. She, that was personality, like, you know, you know, once I told this, this story, uh, I believe at Jimmy Johnson, and he said like, you know, oh, that's why, you know, your mother was bipolar and, you know, oh, that's how you can, be patient and, and understand mm -hmm. our, our men, you know, Alan Holsworth, because Alan, completely different, you know, Alan, you know. But, you know, I was able to, through this kind of difficult experiences with the bipolar people, which were all three aunts of mine, to understand this highly bipolar and dysfunctional genius of Alan Holsworth and mm -hmm. actually see, like, all my bad things help to help me to understand more about life. But, but going back to that kind of... Uh, uh, kind of this uh, middle level between my grandparents and me, like all these three sisters, they hated each other. Uh, you know, they had some probably kind of uh, chemical issues in their brain, like, you know, because of bipolar disorders. 
Also, my uh, aunt, uh, uh, older one, when she married a, a, a Serbian guy who was the father of my cousin that I liked, uh, you know, she uh, suffered a lot of kind of uh, kind of physical kind of uh, abuse from her husband. And then mm. she divorced, and then she married another guy who was alcoholic, you know, and uh, and uh, who didn't have good relationship with my uh, with my cousin who then came to live with my grandparents and with me, and they had two kids. And see, me and my uh, cousin have very similar kind of things, you know, going on, you know, and then, and then also when my aunt married for the second time this guy, probably they had kind of a good relationship in the first couple of years, but then after that, it was just a relation of convenience, which means yeah. that we are uh, talking about people that uh, uh, never found happiness in their life. And maybe uh, that was kind of uh, a reason why they had this kind of uh, uh, confrontational characters and f and virtually uh, big in conflicts with virtually everybody. Like you know, just you know, you know, my mother like this. You know, may, you know, sh she didn't have friends. You know, because every time when she made a friend, it was uh, uh, you know at, uh, after a certain point, it was a problem. Like you know, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and then my youngest uh, uh, aunt, who was nine, ten years younger, probably seeing two older dysfunctional sisters, she became very kind of introvert with herself. Mm -hmm. And then she hated her, both of them. She hated my mother and my uh, aunt. And she became actually a very mean person to me because I was a son of a sister she hated. Mm -hmm. And uh, my cousin was uh, daughter of her other sister that she hated, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know why. See, I I received like you know I was tortured physically, like you know I you know like uh, you know since I was little kid, like six seven years old, you know uh, you know until like age of fifteen sixteen, like you know you know I I I got a lot of kind of physical kind of uh, violence against me by my 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 aunt. Also by oh. other one, but but for unknown reasons, like you know, nobody see she's still alive, and she knew that I'm in town, but you know I didn't want to visit. I don't have nothing to do. With it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, like all these things I can uh, t tell you with. Uh, uh, look, my mind is completely clear. My soul is completely clear. Like mm -hmm. I was liberated by all those things when I mm -hmm. was 18 years old when I moved to Belgrade. You know, because yeah. I was in other like my world was that world that my uh, grandfather told me other side of the mountain. Yes, and I didn't have time to, you know, like I know that a lot of people that had like kind of difficulties when they were kids, like you know that uh, uh, they suffer. You know, I didn't have, you know, I, I I was very clear with myself. Of course, you know, I probably have some a little traumas that I'm not aware of it. That that's why, like you know, probably like I manifest certain of my things in a certain way because of of this influence. I cannot control that, but like uh, uh, psychologically. Emotionally, intellectually, philosophically, I'm completely clear and clean mm -hmm. from all these kind of traumas that I had for almost four years. Mm -hmm. And yes. uh, but I but see, this is the thing, like you know, that I learned in my life. If things cannot be explained, I you know I don't need to things to be explained. If look, I just move. You know, move on, like you know. But there is one thing that I actually, when I became like, I never had a good relationship with my mother. But you know, when I moved to uh, USA, we kind of 
got some kind of connection. And, you know, I, when I married my wife over there, like, you know, she came from Brazil, you know, we met in New York, then she went back to Brazil. I went to Brazil, then we went to, uh, to Italy. We married there, like, you know, and, uh, and then she was kind of okay with me because she was maybe confused because, hey, wow, my son was a loser, you know, and now he's a successful uh, man, you know, he got a beautiful, uh, my mother, my grandfather, uh, my stepfather, nobody. I had different cir circles of friends and mm -hmm. like one group of these friends didn't know what I was doing with other group of friends. I had kind of very secretive life. Like, uh, and when I was going to Napoli or uh, Sicily or to Rome or to Milano or to, when I went secretly to Maldives, nobody knew, like, you know, like, uh, you know, when I, I didn't say that to my sister, you went to Maldives. I went to Maldives. I said to my mother that I went to, to Rome. I got some money because I was translating things. I went to Maldives for six days. I had a good time and I came back and said, oh, you like, you have a very nice color. Yeah, of course. The weather in Sicily in, uh, was very nice <laughs> in October. <laughs> yeah, like it's, uh, you know, like, you know, I, look, I, even though I'm not a liar, mm -hmm. but in uh, my life, I needed to lie a lot. Like mm -hmm. uh, when I was uh, suffering this kind of uh, physical violence from my aunts, uh, I had to lie because, you know, to protect myself. I had to lie to my mother uh, to protect my privacy. Mm -hmm. And uh, on one side, I wasn't happy to be a liar. But on the other side, I had to be a liar because, you know, I didn't want them to know what I'm doing. Like, I wanted to be myself. But I lied a lot to them. You know, I did lie to my friends. To some friends, actually, I made, did lie uh, because, they, oh, where did, you know, what did you, you know, I, I had to lie because I didn't want them like this group of friends, I didn't want to interfere anything with this group of friends. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I lived in this kind of kind of very secretive kind of uh, multi-level walls. And that's why I was happy. When I came to New York, I was happy because I was free of those lies that I was forced to lie to people just to protect myself. And I, I experienced a complete and absolute freedom here in New York. And, and, and you know, that's... Without New York, I don't know if I will be ever, ever able to be what I am. Yeah, so you broke free of the uh, of the very unhealthy structures um, of the of the family. Right, and I and I built my own structure because then I, you know, like because always I wanted to be myself, uh, and because uh, see, like I always had a theory, which is actually to me very practical kind of things. A lot of people try to be like other people in the real life or even as an artist, like, you know, mm -hmm. people, artists are kind of musicians that try to imitate, you know, in my life, uh, working with Alan Holsworth, like, you know, I found so many imitators because instead of uh, being influenced by Alan Holsworth and trying something by themselves, they're just copying a hundred percent. That's thinking, you know, kind of in, in art, but in a, in a real life, everybody wanted to be like somebody else. Mm -hmm. I remember I was at a birthday party and then they asked one uh, girl, uh, like 17 years old girl, that we were kind of big party, like, you know, a lot of families. They asked, what you would like to do, like in Italy, in the uh, late 70s, <coughs> late 80s, say, what you would like to do, like, uh, when you are a grown uh, girl? Say, oh, I would like to be like any other girl. Mm -hmm. I said, wow. <laughs> How you, you know, like, I said, look, 
for me, look, I, I cannot conceive to be like anybody. Like, like my mother wanted me when she came to that room when I was playing uh, some music to that kind of uh, pseudo girlfriend. Uh, <coughs> she ah, to say, <coughs> I'm sorry, you are strange. Why you cannot be like everybody else to listen mm. normal music, to be normal guy, to be having normal things, you know? And she forgets that she wasn't normal during her whole life, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, but I always wanted to be myself because look, the the easiest thing in the world is to be yourself because then you c- you cannot make mistakes because if you are trying to be somebody else, you have to be amazing actor to remember everything mm-hmm. that is not you, that is somebody else. And mm-hmm. I, look, I'm not very good in being focused, like as you know, like I have this kind of. Uh, dyslexia mental dyslexia since i was a child and i cannot focus like you know and then imagine if i try to pretend to be somebody else how i can remember like you know to be like this or that you know it's difficult mm-hmm. like you know mm-hmm. it's easiest to be like myself like the way that i am then accept me or reject me i don't i don't care this is who am i and mm-hmm. uh, and i realized that on long term Everything that I wasn't accepted for when I was on to, up to 28 years old, everything was acceptable after I came to New York. And that's what made me who, uh, the person that I am now. Fantastic. Hey, Leo, so I have an idea. Because we have sort of like come to this middle part of your life. And uh, so let's maybe call this part one. And we're going to yeah. do uh, another conversation. Um, yeah, and uh, like uh, I would like to be this in part uh, in three parts because part two can be just nineties when I came to New York because mm-hmm. that's the part of my life that uh, not so many people know and that yes. was extremely extremely rich in things and events and people and uh, knowledge and, uh, and 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 learning about life and the big city which kind of uh, sort of led me to things that I'm doing since two thousand two thousand one. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know. That that really is the uh the first ten years in New York I don't don't know much about. I mean I know a little yeah. bit, but but yeah, uh, but it's you know it's it's <laughs> very it's uh it's kind of was very I was very fortunate. I can introduce like I can tell you a little bit like then we will continue next time. When I came to New York, like first like maybe uh four or five months we're kind of uh, fishing around, you know, like uh, you know, to find my place. I was with my best friend who helped me a lot. And he said, look, you know, now you're, you're on. And I started working the rest of it. Suddenly I met a guy like, you know, like, you know, this is the guy, like, you know, a Brazilian guy, because I didn't speak English. I spoke Portuguese and to some multiple kind of connections, this person introduced me to this one, to the other one, to the other one, to the other one. Finally, I came to this Brazilian guy who came to USA in 1972 and we became close friends. That guy changed my life forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fernando Natalici from Studio T, and uh, I was suddenly from uh, November of 1990, I was in middle of everything music business in New York City, shows mm-hmm. and people coming to our office. You know, I remember like you know the little things say, "Oh, look at like Berto Gismonti, like wow, John Scofield. Oh, look, you know, look, you know, it's Rolf Towner, like you know." And uh, it was amazing, but I will, you know, we will yeah. talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about it. And, yeah. and, but it's, it's amazing that, you know, like the, uh, 
the African and the malaria experience that was in 88, right? Something yeah, 87, like 88, yeah. Yes. And so then the really like in this really, really short period of time, you, you like you turned your life around. Yeah, yeah but uh, also there are, uh, look, you know, uh, uh, there are a couple of things during my uh, trip to Africa like that I didn't say, like, you know, because, you know, see, like, as you know, we spoke a lot, like, you know, you cannot touch any little thing in my life that uh, I can just ask me, if, I, I cannot say things, my life in just one sentence. Because mm -hmm. my life for uh, various reasons was very rich. Not because I wanted to be rich, it just happened that, like in that way, like, you know. And, you know, there is uh, one person whom I'm trying to reconnect now uh, that I met in San Tome. It was uh, a documentary about him was made in uh, Basque County, uh, country like uh, last year. and. Uh, He was a uh, Basque that I met in uh, San Tome. It's a very long story. Maybe I, I should say that next time because he also influenced me to some uh, music, especially from Spain and Basque country. And uh, and with all this kind of uh, uh, depression and insecurity about life that I experienced during my journey in a tropical country, that guy actually gave me some. Uh, a lot of inspiration and he had extremely hard life and only last uh, two years ago he came back to the normality because he was actually prisoner being a free man on this little tiny island because country uh, france and uh, spain didn't have a kind of uh, extradition kind of you know there was no extradition things between france and he he was basque as a young man he was part of eta You know, mm -hmm. he wasn't terrorist, but he was part of ETA. And, you know, of course, during the Franco's regime and later, like, you know, like, you know, even when uh, Franco left, uh, uh, Spanish police was very brutal until just recently. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Franco stayed in, in Spain even after he died. And then he was actually sold uh, for, by Spanish government because they couldn't get him in Spain to Ecuador. In Ecuador, he was tortured. And then they decided to. Uh, Uh, sent him to Santa Me Principe where he was free man, but uh, no documents and he wasn't able to go to any place. And he was only few people on the island knew who he was. And everybody knew, oh, that's the Spanish guy who came here like to do research, but he stayed there like since 1986. And only like a few years ago, thanks to his girlfriend, she's also Basque, but from France, you know, after many, many years, since 86, 32 years later, He was able to go back to to France. You know, I, I don't think that he can go to Spain yet. Probably mm -hmm. that's the next thing. But he's in France, in Basque Country, in in France. You know, very close to France, to Spain. Mm -hmm. But uh, now I, I, you know, I was looking to find him. But you know, like, but now I, 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 I think I'm able to. Uh, you know, I saw this documentary uh, uh, several times in last months, and I would like to see. Like now, I'm in phase in the last few years. To reconnect with people from my past, yes, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, reconnecting with Borislav in 2009 was the first time that I actually reconnected with my past. Mm -hmm. It was coincidence. He found me on Facebook. We found each other on Facebook, and and I always like him. But you know, before Facebook, like you know, before internet, like you know, you don't know about people. You know, you just mm -hmm. fantasize. But then you know, from 2009, gradually. 
I started reconnecting with people and finding these people from my past. I found a Brazilian guy that I had a good time in Paris in 1886, you know, and he lives now in Vancouver. Like I found like, uh, you know, a couple of uh, 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 dear uh, friends that I uh, uh, was friendly in my hometown that we had, you know, thanks to Facebook that I didn't, I haven't heard from them in, in ages, like, you know. Okay. And, and see, like, probably because we are getting older, uh, we are going back to the past yes. to revisit our past, but to revisit mm -hmm. good things. See, mm -hmm. I'm not going to the past to revisit bad things. No. Mm -hmm. I'm going to the past because past is also important. I don't live from the past, but I like to revisit past because that will make me even more kind of stronger as a person. It can, you know, and that probably that finally can, you know, maybe something inside of me that I am not able to control or think of, maybe still there is some kind of uh, ghost of the, of the past. And maybe going to the past to see kind of these kind of positive things during the negative years, because, you know, don't forget, even though Angola and Satome Prince were amazing period of life for me, but on the other side, I was very depressed. And uh, when I went to Santome, like, you know, this guy, and we played soccer on the beach and we spoke about it. And then only like 10 days after I met him, he liked me. He told me his story. And the, just the fact that he told me his story, and he told me that, look, Leonardo, like, I, you know, I don't know why I told you all this story. Like, you know, you are, you know, I just liked you. Like, you know, you know, I, you know, and, and of course I'm, I'm not, I wasn't telling to anybody else about that. You know, of course that was like 30 years, 32 years ago. He was there just for, uh, arrived like a year, year and a half. And then he only was able to leave in uh, two years ago, in 2019, before the COVID. And, you know. and, and, the, and those are the things, see, I like this thing because that's kind of connection, you know, because I know one day when we meet, yeah, I know that I will meet him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, uh, he was born in 1958, four years older than me. And uh, I know that I will have a good time. We'll have good wine. We'll have a good conversation. We will listen to a couple of these kind of uh, progressive folk bands from Bass County that he introduced me, like Isaiah, mm -hmm. uh, It's like that, you know, that he was playing because he had some kind of tapes of music from his country, like, you know, and uh, to remember old times, drinking wine, like, you know, and having nice food, like, you know, and it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for him because I was one of the, probably I was, probably, probably, I will ask him if I met him, probably I was the first guy that he ever told his story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, and I like this. I like this kind of reconnection. Like you know, see, see, like my life is already full of people, but it's never enough for me. I want to know more people. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm dealing with time, but doesn't matter. You know, it makes me just better. You know, person and richer to know more people. You know, and it's all interesting. Like you know, and you know, yeah. and also with Dennis, when we are talking like every week for several months, like a couple of hours on 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 Zoom, we were recording and transcribing that. And also these things help me like to, to write about my, my, myself, like, you know, because, uh, you know, due to circumstances and conditions of life and a series of events, I had very interesting life. If I put myself outside of myself, I had a very, very rich life. Uh, uh, it was forced to, on me. And, and because in the beginning it was forced to me, it became my motus vivendi, motus operandi, because mm -hmm. I was used to it. And mm -hmm. then, you know, it was so intense in the first 28 years that it had to be in that way. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's a great thing, like, you know, especially like, you know, 
being now in a in a field that I like music, you know, and you know, it's amazing. Like you know, I, I look, I'm fortunate guy. Like you know, knowing like people like my Tony Levy, like you know, I like he, I we call him like Uncle Tony. Like you know, you know that's look. <laughs> I'm not just the guy who works with him. Mm-hmm. I'm not just the guy who receives money. Say okay. Pat, Marcus, Robert, like, you know, Tony, uh, this is your money and those are expensive. No, we are friends, like, you know, like, like not friends, like we share the food together. We, you know, we go, you know, to, you know, it's different relationship. Like, you know, like, uh, like I remember when I went to Phil Manzanera's house, we became friends with Yara and said, wow, I remember this guy from the cover of, uh, uh, you know, uh, inner inside the cover of the album Soroxy Music. He had amazing outfit with those, Amazing uh, ex- extra long shoes and boots, and you know. And then I'm I'm with him, and he makes a tea for me. And mm-hmm. he's a friend. Like this is the beauty. This is the uh, uh, my uh, uh, payment repayment. Like you know, that's how mm-hmm. I was re- uh, paid off. Uh, you know, my difficult mm-hmm. life before paid me like uh, 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 very generously to know amazing people, and mm-hmm. also uh, thanks to these amazing people. I can easily reach to other amazing people without any difficulty, without being like, you know, like uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, like I remember when I met David Coverdale, I wasn't, you know, just that he's a very famous guy, you know, but he was friend of Derek Schumann since late 60s, you know, and I knew about him and he came, oh, you are that guy, you are Leonardo. Let me tell you a story about Alan Holsworth, like, you know, because Derek told him that I was working with, with Alan, say, Oh, like when I left the Papla, I wanted to my band, you know, I loved two guitar players, Joe McLaughlin and also. I wanted Alan in my band, like, but it didn't happen. Like, you know, I love Alan, you know, say hello to him, you know. Like, I mean, like this is the first time when you uh, uh, face like a very famous guy and he comes to you like, like, boom, like, you know, <laughs> we are buddies. Like, you know, and then, you know, I can go anytime like to, Hey, Leonardo, you are famous. You are famous. No, look, I'm, look, uh, <laughs> due, due, due to the, uh, uh, kind of uh, circumstances, I became kind of non guy, but uh, I will never be non guy if I not do not know like non people. Then, yeah. because I'm kind of like Bill Bruford called me enabler, which probably I am, and then because of my uh, connections with uh, very well known guys in kind of music that I'm in, in interested in, then I became kind of uh, known by default, but I'm not known because, you know, because look, you know, I will never ever be able to do what I'm doing without you guys, you know, because, you know, because that's the, that's the, that's the, you know, that's how it is. Like, you know, and I'm very thankful that you guys gave me opportunity to, to reinvent myself. Look, I don't come from music business uh, uh, background. I, you know, I don't come from, uh, you know, those days, like, you know, I, I just came as a fan, like, you know, to help Elton Dean and yeah. the Noah Oswald and to mm-hmm. reconnect uh, with uh, PFM from Italy. And, and then I, boom, 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 like things started happening. And then uh, now I know everybody and people know me, like, you know, you know, like, you know, like, you know, so I, you know, I know think there's, there's, there's something really interesting as sort of like the, for me, the result of this conversation today is I, I believe there is some sort of currency and I'm not talking about money. There's a currency oh, no, I, of there's a currency of energy or a currency of you could say work or life experience or uh, um, um, things you have to you had to deal with 
right? Yeah, that sort of like puts you that puts you on uh, like on eye eye level with with successful people. What that means what that means is there's a certain way to have lived life and to have like like really gone deep into the dough of life and massaged the dough for a long time yeah. that sort of like puts you you know on the same level as people who have uh yeah yeah because it's called the human capital like you know in a life you have two capitals it's a kind of uh, money capital related to uh, value of the money of the goods of the real estate mm -hmm. of uh, of uh, physical things so there is a human capital and then um like uh, 60s and 70s which is kind of music that inspired me the most and thanks to the music of 60s and 70s that i also learned about music before 60s and after 70s it's the probably only uh period in a uh, history in 20th century where art was very uh much related to the human capital but then in early 70s when accountants and uh, managers and lawyers started dominating the the music business mm -hmm. uh that human capital kind of disappeared from the music industry <clears throat> it was mm -hmm. about money making money <clears throat> but what is happening now because i started the label and a, a booking agency because of the disaster in music industry but because of the circumstances because i was trying to help a couple of friends that i befriended like elton dean then later alan holsworth to ask me for help and uh, and then th that's how i show my human capital based on my experience because i didn't have the money capital neither i had experience in music business but i had that human capital and uh, that's why kind of uh, later like kind of if you see like who my book about legends they're all kind of uh, rejects from the music industry including tony like you know look you know tony uh, like uh, you know you know that very well stickman and uh, tony levin group were with agency group and they <clears throat> only things that they cared about king crimson and uh, and uh and, uh, and peter gabriel and other big acts and did this kind of sub agents were asking me oh leonardo you have friends in mexico in uh in um uh, in brazil you know we have this guy in argentina who like you know who um who is booking the stickman and maybe you can help us and uh, look i was helping the agents and tony knew that and then when mm -hmm. Uh, the Steve Martin moved to other agency. Tony came to me, look, you know, and uh, you know, and which is kind of privileged to do that. But also, I was able uh, uh, because of my persona to get all these kind of amazing artists that uh, this official uh, market of the music business or business of music rejected. Because yes. look, I remember when I started helping Alan Holsworth, nobody wanted to book Alan Holsworth because. Who wants to make 10 percent on two three thousand dollars per gig you know mm -hmm. yeah uh, you know that's probably happened with stickman you remember like first tour of usa that i did we had four weeks you know normally you were playing six seven weeks because i actually based that tour on my experience touring with alan holsworth like you know and you know and um but then you know like frank gabali came to me esco henderson came to me and alex Colley came to me because of course he has testament but then you know his uh, jazz infusion and progressive and world music things it's like you know he he kind of find out the time the guy because if he goes like to the other kind of official guys that are dominating uh music industry they will not be able to uh, assist people that are having like fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand three thousand dollars per gig because mm. you know they have like uh, twenty thousand uh, dollars rent to pay 
But see what is happening now because of the COVID. <laughs> Everything is downsizing, you know, mm-hmm. and then everybody's loser. But actually, as a small guy who didn't make so much money, I made just you know a little bit, you know, enough for me to live. I actually became a winner. And then, mm-hmm. uh, then other people come to me, like Leo Lyons from Ten Years After. He's seventy-seven. He's in good shape. He wants to play. Oh, Arnie Goodman, my friend, photographer. He introduced me to him, and I'm you know because I. This is like about that. I agree with you about that currency, which is human capital. Because in the new world, in the new uh, kind of uh, uh, system of how world, you know, we are still in a in a state of confusion that is pro- being prolonged because of COVID. But mm-hmm. I think I'm positive that these things will change because uh, I think there will be more space for independent people. It will take a little time. And that's why I'm confident about future because. I was actually remember when he came from Japan, me and Gary had a conversation, and I said, What the fuck I'm going to do? And Gary said, What the fuck I'm going to do? And you said, What the fuck I'm going to do? Like, you know, it was uncertainty. But then, you know, this kind of uncertainty makes made us made us even kind of stronger. Mm-hmm. And we come with kind of sort of experience. And then we are, you know, because see, we know what is the struggle. We know what is uh, fighting for one little dollar. Those guys were fighting for one little million, and we were fighting for one little dollar. Mm-hmm. And that's our advantage. That's our currency. And maybe mm-hmm. one our one little dollar has much more value than their one little million dollars. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> hey, okay, Leonardo, let's leave it at that for today. Okay, very good. Yes. Excellent. It was wonderful to talk with you. Yeah, uh, we will talk again, you know. And yeah, uh, privately, of course, and you know, of course, thank you. Yeah, thank okay. you, everybody who is watching. Bye bye. <laughs> yes, bye bye.